This week's one-off, Friends, Season 3, Episode 2, The One Where No One's Ready. When I first put on this episode, I was pretty sure we were going to talk about whether I'm the Ross of our group, but by the end of it, I was mostly just kind of stuck on the fact that Ross is an abusive boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. A verbal verbal and like uh, emotionally manipulative, <laughs> I think. Verbal abuse and man- emotional manipulation, is that, is that what you'd call that? What would you call it? That's exactly what I'd call it, and it's played for humor throughout the entire episode. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, uh, he's, he's angry. Are, are you about to say that his anger justifies his actions? No, <laughs> but I think it would be fair to say that uh, he's just a, a, an abusive person in this whole episode <laughs> to everybody. Yeah, he he's definitely uh, I don't know why he's he's allowed in that social group. I don't I don't know. I don't know who likes him in that group. <laughs> yeah, I know like it's it uh, it got me thinking about uh manipulation. That was one of the things that I kept thinking, like how humans manipulate each other all the time in any way that they can to get whatever they want. And so in the case of, you know, you might use anger and yell at someone hoping to force them to do the thing you need them to do. Or you might use humor or or sympathy and compassion, you know, like, oh, that's OK. You should go get ready. Uh, and how, how manipulative not only Ross is, but all people. Yeah. And, and this episode, I think you're right, is a great example of a bunch of different kinds of manipulation. Right off the top, we start with an attempt by Chandler to get Joey to drink fat. Yeah, exactly. And that snowballs into into their entire conflict for the entire episode and it, and it's done really well and and that's fun and funny and it feels like, you know, roommates or buddies just, you know, playing with each other. Well, there's also like I mean like uh yeah, there's the 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 dude thing. I'm going to call it a dude thing, which I'm sure I, I was going to ask you if you ever did it when you're like in like a Boston pizza. And someone like pours ketchup and vinegar and salt and sugar all into one cup and mixes it around and then makes somebody drink it? No, no, I have that is disgusting. I am sitting here disgusted by the thought of that. Well, you know, I I would never drink it. But I have been in situations where people do that and then try and convince somebody to drink it for twenty bucks or we'll buy you your meal or whatever, just to get them to drink this like mix of gross stuff. It's such a, a guy thing to do late at night at a restaurant when you're bored and lonely okay see but there you just added an element that would make me do it i would do it for 20 bucks (laughs) yeah 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 that's what i mean you know using trying to find like uh, and then once you agree to do it for 20 bucks would you do it for 15 Uh, i see i see and it becomes the game of how how what, what can we do to get you to drink this thing now that we know you'll do it right like that kind of guy thing it's so so that's how the episode starts but then there's also like the 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 passive aggressive a manipulation technique of like Rachel dressing into just her casual clothes and what, what, what did she say? Catch up on her correspondence. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I'm just not going to go. It's fine. I'm not mad. 
And it's like, oh man, now this is, there's that manipulation there too. There's so much, uh, uh, yeah, manipulating of other people. Even the whole answering machine bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I think that there there's an extent to which like the sitcom as a genre relies on uh, at least some element of that in its in its romances, right? Like a romance never gets played straight in that it 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 just works. Mm-hmm. It 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 needs these these ups and downs throughout it. But watching this episode, it got me thinking about there's a couple I knew in high school and they were they dated for the entire duration I think of of high school for us, but they were on again off again. And it was one of those relationships where from the outset, they seemed both perfectly matched for each other, but completely unfit to be in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And just watching this, if I saw, if I had friends who were Ross and Rachel, I think I would take them aside and say, you guys need to stop this relationship because you're, you're hurting each other with the way that you're manipulating each other and, and being... I mean, Rachel isn't isn't particularly abusive in this episode. I don't really get have a feel on their broader relationship, but like this is just unhealthy. Yeah, well, you know, I think this is this is uh, into the whole how people manipulate each other all the time. Anytime you're trying to convince someone of your point of view, you're you're attempting to manipulate them, right? Uh, and I feel like if if this were a, a real situation and you had two friends that had a relationship like Ross and Rachel. And you wanted to take them aside and talk to them about it. You wouldn't. Hmm. If you know what I mean. You'd have to be a really, really good person and have confidence falling out of your butt in order to take your friend aside and tell them that they need to break up because of whatever reason. Normally what a person would do is subtly uh, imply things about the relationship or make jokes about it and hint towards what you think but you but very few people will actually come out and directly tell you what they think you know what i'm saying yeah yeah that that makes me think about that really common line after after someone's broken up where oh he or she wasn't right for you and and we we knew we knew that they weren't right for you or we knew it wouldn't work or something that 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 line that comes out after a breakup yeah, I've watched lots of people I know date people they shouldn't date. And I've tried to, you know, be uh, supportive, but also try to, you know, be... Uh, Subtly break them up from the, from the outside. Well, you know, ask a question. You know, you don't say you should totally break up with him. You say, so, um, are you guys happy? Right? You don't... That's what... Because you want them to tell you that they should break up with them. Because if you can't tell them that, because that just ruins a friendship. I like how subtle your are you are you really happy with that person line is like just <laughs> that's my that's my subtlety at work there that's how subtle I can be <laughs> yeah, I, I can see you've got a great track record at breaking people up there I've never done it I've never done it because it's hard to do and this is why I think Ross and Rachel are still together in this episode because no one has the the heart to pull them apart hmm. it's hard to do man it's hard to do yeah and I I guess. Part of the problem too is like that it it's one of those really tight knit social groups and and you know that if you break them up you're gonna break up that social group in some way. Yeah, exactly. I think they do break up at some point. I don't know. My friend's lore is not what it used to be, but I'm pretty sure they do break up and Ross gets married and then they break up and then they get back together. I don't know. Friends. 
yeah, it, it sounds awfully complicated and, and, and like a lot of work. That relationship seems like a lot of work. And, and it's funny because I, like, I, I know some friends and I've seen a bunch of the episodes, but I, I'm very, you're, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm not up on my lore, but I always had this, this sense of Ross as like, he's mostly unlikable, but in a lovable way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in in watching this episode just completely out of any sort of context, I was really pulled away from the lovableness of it. Mm-hmm. He was just a mean, he was just a jerk. Yeah, yeah. And, and part of that, I think, has to do with the way that this episode is structured. Like, it's a bottle episode that takes place entirely in the living room. Yeah, in real time. In real time. And, and so, because the... Like you, you can only have so many outside influences, right? Like you know, they they need they need some sort of conflict, and the conflict is Ross wants to go somewhere, and no one else is ready to go, and so I can see why he becomes the bad guy for this episode. But it it just it puts him in such a bad light. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I got to say, for a bottle episode, there was so much going on in this episode. Yeah, like when I was like thinking back, I was like so many concepts and ideas and jokes and bits and all these things were brought up and interwoven in perfectly to the story and it just made me realize my appreciation for the sitcom format yeah yeah i mean i've i have talked about how i i i I didn't get on friends when it was popular because when it was popular i was i was in that mindset of oh well if it's popular it can't be good but watching watching it now you can see that there is a lot going on at the level of 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 the the scene in in this and and they're they're weaving together a lot of different pieces in in this sitcom in a way that it it's impressive to watch mhm yeah like okay so something else that uh, did do you even know uh have you ever used an answering machine? <laughs> I I have used an answering machine. I am I am aware okay. of it conceptually. Because I was laughing at how much of this crux crux relied on an answering machine <laughs> and how answering machines used to work in the late nineties, <laughs> and that you could call in and punch in your code and change the messages and stuff and it was just like this i was like this is this is hilarious to me because i remember those days i remember having an answer machine like that i mean i technically still have one but a physical machine that's sole purpose was to answer calls was hilarious yeah yeah i mean the the reality is answering machines more or less work the same or voicemail works the same now like i could still call into your phone get your voicemail and and punch in a code and access it but What's kind of strange about it is this it's this box that everyone can hear and uh, yeah it's it's such a weird uh, artifact of the 80s and 90s well and how much uh, relied on that that old message new message mm-hmm. idea where like the way cell phones work nowadays and answering machines like you know when you got that message yeah. you in fact can just check your call history like this was before caller ID this was before all that so it's like how how quickly things change and how hard it would be to recreate that kind of uh, farcical uh, thing. But that also, I was wondering, have you ever you ever done that? You ever had to deal with that situation of like whether or not to call somebody? 
I haven't had that whether or not to call somebody, but I've had that, I've left a voicemail, I'm not happy with the voicemail, I'm going to re-record the voicemail, and then just done that again and again option. Back when you could, like, if you're satisfied with your voicemail, press one. If you're, you know, that, that's... Yeah, you wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to uh, hack into their voicemail the way Monica did. No, no. And so, you could just do it yourself, yeah. Yeah. Where you get stuck in that. Stuck in that loop of like, no, now I sound like a jerk. Oh, now I sound too mean. I got to try it again. Okay, just I'm just going to delete the message. I'll just call him later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it, it just makes me think of how stressful phone calls were and and even more so are today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, this this is where this whole the whole like thing, I, I just kept thinking about how manipulative all of these people were <laughs> with the attempt to sound breezy. Right. Like... You're clearly not breezy, but you're trying to sound breezy because you want you're trying to get something from the other person in such a way that doesn't make you look foolish. And it's just like so much trying to get things from other people in ways that are dishonest and not true. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's there, there's an extent to which that's, I guess, normal. Like we all have relationships with people who we would call our friends, but who we're I would say more manipulative with than with others. I think that that's yeah. that's the case. But it's when when you put it all into this one bottle and you just shake it up and you have all of this kind of manipulation running against each other, it 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 comes across very differently. Yeah, and I think you need that kind of tension in a bottle episode. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I think that's why this episode specifically was so made Ross look like such a, a abusive. Well, I mean, like a bottle episode is typically the the conflict or, or or the reason that they're in the bottle is like they're locked in a room or they're stuck in an elevator or they're trapped on the roof or in the basement or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the that's not actually the conflict of the episode. The conflict is the people who are in that room, in that place, have something that they need to resolve with each other. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's often, you know, sexual tension or it's friends who are fighting or, or, or something like that. And so how mm-hmm. how you get to that in in an episode where the bottle is artificial? Yeah, I mean the bottle is is a person made in this one, right? Like it's it's not like a person versus environment kind of bottle, like uh, the elevator breakdown or the someone's pen has gone missing, like where something external has forced you into the bottle. Uh, this is like people just aren't ready. Yeah, all of you are the reason we're stuck here. <laughs> Which I think is extra what makes Ross such a jerk in this episode. Right, right. Yeah, you know what I mean? I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but I gotta ask. Are you uh, are you an early person? Or are you a late person? I I, tr- I, I traditionally am, am one of those, like, painfully punctual people. I, mm-hmm. I, I very much like to arrive exactly on time. And mm-hmm. and it and it's one of those things that actually causes me a bit of anxiety because I never want to arrive early. I don't want I don't want to be there either before people expect me or before other people are there or before anyone else is ready for me or something like that. But I also don't want to be the person who where everyone else is waiting on. And so it's this difficult calculus of how do I get there, basically on the dot. Exactly. If I say come by at seven. You are there at seven. I, yeah, that's that's when I would like to be there. I would like to structure my entire life around being there exactly at seven o'clock. Now, yeah, in practice, I, I I don't think this happens very often, but that's the that's the dream. 
Yeah, I'm a I'm an early person. I'm a I'm a be ready early, get ready to leave early, and be out the door. With, like I arrive ten minutes before I have to be there, which leads to me being even earlier, where it's like I have to leave early to make sure I arrive early. Yeah, and so that if there is a traffic jam, I'm still ten minutes early. Uh, so I end up being 20 minutes early most of the time. <laughs> you also have this added benefit of there is one outfit that you wear. And so, like, you you don't have to go through the process of getting ready in, in that same sort of way. No, man, that's that's the beauty with, with uh, tuxedos, right? Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> man in tuxedos. You just put on a tuxedo. Like, that's the—I think that's part of this episode was that <laughs> Joey and Chandler didn't really have to get ready because they were just going to go put a tuxedo on and they're done, right? Like— <laughs> Uh, there was no rush, no, no, no rush for them. But, uh, but yeah, women's clothes, it's not the same. They had, they actually do have to make a choice. Well, and, and as I've gotten older, I've struggled with that as well with, I mean, I don't wear tuxes ever really, but, uh, the, you know, what level of dressiness, you know, what kind of dress shirt, what color, what goes with what I'm, I'm beginning to become a person who, who spends more time thinking about the, the nuances of his outfit, which... Uh, that is uh, one of the, the, the I guess, uh, uh, anxieties that I deal with, is I only have two ways of dressing, normal and dressed up. I don't have any, like, in-betweens. Yeah. yeah. So my least favorite words on any invitation to anything is business casual, <laughs> because I don't know how to do that. I have, I have no outfit that is prepared for that sort of dress up. So I just come super dressed up. Yeah, just do that just without a tie in your set. Yeah, business casual. Okay, cool. So like a three-piece suit without the jacket or tie, done. Like I don't have many in-betweens. But I mean, and, and this is the thing, is even if I did have all a whole bunch of choices to make in my wardrobe, I would still be an early person. Yeah. Because the, the idea of being late to me is like, oh, man, I I don't know if I could forgive myself. Really? You know, I feel I I feel terrible when I'm late. I feel so bad for everyone that I caused to wait for me, you know, like because when I'm late for something, I'm getting everything I need to get done done. Right. Mm -hmm. Doesn't hurt me in any way. The only people it bothers are the people that are waiting for you. Right. So when you're late, you're really just hurting those people and taking some of their time from them, stealing some of their life. See, and that's how I feel about being early. When when I'm early, what I'm doing is I'm doing the best that I can to ensure that I'm uh, I'm not inconveniencing anyone with my lateness. That I'm that I'm there and that I'm ready on time. But I'm if I'm early, I have the potential of taking away people's getting ready time or people's prep time or whatever. Oh sure, yeah. So this is I mean part of the being an early person is that you arrive early, but you don't actually go in until on time. Okay, okay. So it turns out we're we're fairly similar in that regard. <laughs> yeah like i arrive at gigs like 20 minutes early sometimes yeah uh, <laughs> and then i get out and i go for a walk yeah <laughs> like i walk around the block so that <laughs> I, I get you know, i get some fresh air and I, I think a lot of this actually has to do with that i used to be a smoker right would you never were you never smoked cigarettes and cigarette smokers uh all of those out there listening who still do that uh you should probably quit are notoriously early because they want to be able to have a cigarette first that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. uh, so that helped me with my arriving early and taking some time to myself before I even engage with other people. Of course, like, because you do end up with that. I, I understand that anxiety of taking other people's time from them by being early. Like, if you show up at a restaurant early and you're the first person to get the reservation, oh. 
and you sit there alone for like 20 minutes, like that's the worst. Yeah. I mean. Because now you're stealing business from this business. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Even though you're not, you feel like you are. <laughs> yeah. I, I, will, I will stand outside the restaurant and wait for other people to show up so that we go in together. Yeah, for sure. for sure. And of course, the rules are different depending on the situation. You know, like like if it's a party and it's like arrive, you know, like like arrive around seven. Yeah. If if the words around seven are in there, like then you know I show up whenever I want. Yeah, yeah. Or or if if we're we're gonna play board games at your house, I can show up like six hours before we're gonna play, and you and I'll just hang out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It you're, it, mm-hmm. it does depend on the the context. I I was actually I had two conferences a couple weeks ago. Uh, back to back and the first one was in montreal and it was with a bunch of strangers who i didn't know and it was in montreal where i had never been and so i more or less showed up half hour early to the event and wanted to just kind of awkwardly get my bearings about where i was and and so that i knew so that i could arrive exactly on time and be there but somebody determined who i was before and and they were going into the event, and so they they're like, "Oh, well, you you know, we're we're just going in." And we walked in, and then we had to make awkward small small talk for twenty minutes. No, oh, I was trapped. Oh, I wasn't prepared for it. I don't. I it was you know it was eight in the morning. I wasn't emotionally ready for a conversation with another human being. I hadn't had a coffee. <laughs> it was it was a disaster. It it in fact. It took away most of the morning for me of just like getting myself settled from from that situation before I was really able to participate in the conference. Like that's how bad it mm-hmm. was. Yeah, I mean, I, I think being an early person has its problems as well as being a late person. But I, I like to think that early person problems are are self inflicted and self damaging, right? The only person that gets hurt in an early person problem is you. You know what I mean? Like, is you show up early and you have to wait outside in the cold for 10 minutes. Whereas if you show up late, you could be bothering every other single person. Yeah. You know, all the people who showed up on time didn't need to show up on time because we couldn't do anything without you. So we all waited for five minutes. Yeah. And made awkward small talk until you arrived. So like, uh, I'm, I'm such an early person that if I have to go for coffee with somebody at like 9 a.m., I get a coffee first on my own so that I'm all coffeeed and ready to go. And I arrive like, I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's have a coffee. And going for coffee is a great example. Like, depending on when you're going for coffee or who you're going for coffee with, you get to avoid that whole, like, is somebody buying a coffee for someone else sort of dance, and and you, mm-hmm. you've already got your coffee, and you're sipping it, and then you can be in line with them, but no one's concerned that the wrong person is going to offer. It's That's the ideal yeah. way to go for coffee. Or you show up early, and you pay for your coffee and the person's coffee before they even get there. Ooh, that's that's true. And so when, when they stand in line and go to get the coffee, you give the gesture to the barista, and they just make it for them. That's that's a power move, though. I don't... Whew. Hey, that's what I'm saying. We manipulate each other all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to try that next time. Like, just really just have the coffee ready for them and, and see how it goes. I don't... Yeah. Um, yeah, but I figured we're both, you know, pretty similar in our early punctuality things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I even schedule into some things like telling people to arrive at seven so that we can start at seven thirty. Right. And there are still people who arrive at seven thirty two. And and the whole reason of arriving at seven and starting at seven thirty is so that there's a half hour window for like, you know, meandering in, small talk, socializing, so that at seven thirty we can start. And then people show up at seven thirty two and they want to socialize for a bit, and then we don't start till seven forty five. 
and they just stole so much time. See, I've now started to, speaking of manipulating people, tell people different times depending on my knowledge of their lateness. Ooh, that's, that's good. Yeah, so if I'm planning an event to start at 8 o'clock, but I know that I have a, a couple that they are notoriously 15 minutes late for everything, I just tell, you tell them, them 730? 730, 745. <laughs> and, and like there's something just like, evil about that like it feels like i'm doing something wrong but at the same time it mostly works out you know <laughs> yeah yeah and you know what if you're a late person out there if you're like one of those late comers uh email us and tell us why you're late like like uh like i'm curious no, i am curious as to as to where like i understand things happen you end up late I, i've been late before because of you know unforeseen circumstances but like people who are constantly late, like what, what is it? What is it that makes you think that that's acceptable? There, there's no mystery to it, Dave. Like you're, you're treating it like it's, it's some sort of like, oh, there's, there's what? some sort of, you know, mystical reason why people are late. No, people are late because they're poor planners. That's. But, but I don't want to, I don't want to just, just assume that they are all, they think that they're more important than everybody else. <laughs> I want to know why <laughs> they're all, why are you always late? Anyway, sorry. You can email us. Uh, because um, there's another question I wanted to ask you before we, we wrap this episode up. Shoot, shoot. What is the essence of a chair? Oh, man, totally a great question, right? It's just this I bombshell mean, of philosophy that gets dropped in the middle of a Friends <laughs> episode. Like, are cushions the essence of a chair? Because I would, I would have totally disagreed with that statement. Yeah, because a stool, like, is a stool a chair? Is I'm currently sitting in a chair that doesn't have cushions. It it's still a chair. It has the essence of a chair, most certainly. Yeah, yeah. Like like the cushions being the essence of a chair. I don't think that's true at all. I think like the shape is more important than the cushionness of it, and the usability of it is more more the essence than the cushion part of it. Like I don't, I don't know. I I was just I was just like. First of all, I love that that was part of a Friends episode. <laughs> Second of all, I was kind of like, you know, I wanted to actually enter into that philosophical discussion with Chandler. <laughs> well, and Joey accepts it immediately. Joey's like, I'm taking the essence, as if that was his plan all along. Yeah, like he knew it was the essence of a chair. And I think I think that there's, there's something right. I think Chandler's right when he says that Joey is taking the essence of that chair in that moment. But I don't think that the essence of a chair is its is cushions. I think that that uh, I think that that takes it one step further. Mm-hmm. Like when I when I look at that chair, that's as the cushions are being taken away. I agree with them that the 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 chairness is gone in a way. The whole that per, that particular chair has lost yeah. a, a, a large aspect of its chairness. The essence. It's essence. Its yeah, but I I would say that that's only that particular chair, and mm. and and it's a matter of of recognition in the moment. You know, is a stump a chair? It depends on the context and. Yeah, the specifics of it were correct, but in general, that statement would be wrong. Yeah, I I I would not support that statement in general. No. Yeah, and are you uh, are you on Team Joey or Team Chandler? Like, did Chandler have rights to that chair? Oh no! I mean, I think Chandler getting up for whatever reason, and it's it's added by the fact that he didn't just go to the bathroom; he went to the bathroom to read the Cosmo magazine. So, yeah. like, it's not just he left for utility purposes, but no, he gave up rights to that chair. Yeah, he was gone for long enough. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd, he he, unless he had just stood up to adjust, 
he would have been gone for long enough in my right. Yeah, unlike the end of the episode where that uh, paleontologist sits down next to Ross in the, the like post-credit scene. Like that, that was like, I, I think I was more like, no, that's Chandler's chair. Come on, guy. <laughs> well, and... The, there's clearly assigned seating at this banquet. Like, don't even pretend that's not Chandler's chair. It's assigned to him. There's a name card in front of it with his name on it. And, you know, context matters, right? Like, if Ch- if that was Chandler's apartment, maybe this would be a different conversation. But, but like, sure. the, yeah. the fact that, you know, it wasn't even their apartment, not not his chair, but the assigned seating at the banquet, definitely his chair. Mm-hmm. Totally, yeah. And that's where, like, similar to the essence of the chair idea of, like, uh, that particular chair, Joey did take the essence of it, but that particular chair was not Chandler's. Yeah. But near the end, the, the chair was Chandler's chair. But yeah, but the essence of that chair you couldn't really take away because it was kind of like a nice wooden chair. Yeah. You'd have to like cut the legs off it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Anything else you want to bring up? No, that that more or less covers uh, the full extent of my thoughts on that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I think I need to go put some underwear on now. Whoa. Whoa. I'm going commando. <laughs> You wouldn't go commando in another man's fatigues. Best line of the episode, maybe. (laughs) Now go get dressed. Next one-off, Batman, the animated series. Season 2, episode 18, Almost Got Him.